Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. This is part five of a six-part series called The Diversity of Trans, where we are exploring and listening to and learning from various uh, experiences within the broader trans conversation. And this series surrounds the launch of my book, which came out a few days ago, called Embodied. Transgender Identities, the Church, and what the Bible has to say. So if these conversations have raised many more questions than you than you thought you even had, then I encourage you to check out my book. It's available where books are sold. And I um, another goal with these conversations is that we would uh, continue to put flesh on a topic that often is treated at arm's length, uh, treated as some polarized issue within the culture wars. And I want to deconstruct that approach and reconstruct it with real people at the center of it. Now, in the last two conversations, we've gotten to know two friends of mine who have gone through both a stage, who have both transitioned and then detransitioned. Uh, one of them, Kyla, detransitioned back to her birth sex uh, because she had an encounter with Christ and believed that was the uh, right thing for her to do. Uh, my other friend, Helena, does not claim any religious identity, and she also ended up transitioning and, and detransitioning for, for other reasons. Now, in this episode, we're going to get to know my friend, Addie. Sold-out believer in Jesus, uh, experienced dysphoria from a very young age, uh, tried to alleviate, alleviate that dysphoria through other means and through much prayer and reading and study and counsel, she decided to transition from male to female and is still um, identifies as female and um, is very happy with her transition. And so this is going to be a different story than the last two stories that you heard. And again, I think it's, it's so important for us to get to know a wide range of trans people so that we will understand that if you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person. So without further ado, let's get to know my good friend, Addie. My friend uh, Addie, uh, Addie, thanks so much for coming on Theology in the Raw. This is long overdue. I mean, it's something that I've been wanting to, to do for a while. But thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Preston, for having me on. I've been following your blog and, and some of your work since you launched the the Center for Sexuality, Gender, and Faith, and um, just so happy to be here. I know we met in New York, yeah. probably I don't know now, like last year before all this COVID craziness was happening. It was so just, yeah. Oh, just over a year. Yeah, ago. and I, I just I really appreciated um, the kind of tone you set at that conference. Um, I actually had an opportunity to dine with a few folks that were attending your conference um, in Manhattan afterwards, and just the types of conversations that came out of that little workshop were amazing. And um, me being a trans person yeah. and in engaging with other Christians in a really cool dialogue was something really special to me. Yeah. And so that's why I'm, I'm super glad to, to be talking with you now. Well, I was so glad to meet you because we actually met online. I mean, uh, when mm -hmm. I first started blogging about the trans conversation, I was just kind of working out some thoughts some you know, putting stuff together. And I'll never forget reading mm -hmm. your comment. I don't even remember this. You left an extended <laughs> comment. It was really just like, thank you so much. And, and a lot of agreement. And then towards the end, you kind of threw in, you know, 
as somebody who transitioned from, you know, male to female, you know, um, I, I, you know, my journey looks a little maybe different, but I just so appreciate mm-hmm. your, um, you, you know, to me, my uh, attempt to kind of understand this conversation. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, man, I was so impressed with your posture and humility and, yeah, and then we met in New York, and I—I I didn't even know. Like we we were talking. And like, I know. I'm, I'm Addy. I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! You're like the. Wait, Addy what? Been... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, um, why, why don't you tell? Yeah, tell us your story. I mean, I'll, yeah, I don't know how you can uh, begin at birth if you want, or how far back you want to go. But we'd yeah, love for people to get to know your story, and and uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I know you've had a, a lot of different guests, and that's one thing I've appreciated. Um, like you said, you you have just wanted to show a lot of different experiences, and you know, every time you meet a trans person nowadays, that can mean a lot of different things. And yeah. so, it's always really important, you know, as we're engaging as Christians in this topic, to really know the person and get to know their story first. And um, my story probably starts out like a lot of Christian evangelical kids. I went to a conservative church. Um, I was steeped into the 16th century Calvinism Reformation. That was, I was catechized from fifth grade onwards until I uh, graduated high school. And so um, it was a unique experience to be a conservative Christian um, and even still to this day, a Christian that really likes to wrestle with scripture. Um, I, after listening to you for, for, probably a year and a half now, I I know that's part of your story is when you came to Christ, just wanting to dig in scripture. And that's how I felt growing up. Um, I grew up in the church, but I wrestled with gender dysphoria from a very young age, probably at the age of four, I knew something was wrong, Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't have the words to kind of describe it. And it wasn't until I was probably about seven, around first, second grade that I started realizing that, you know, boys and girls are different. And I don't necessarily want to be grouped in with the boys or don't feel comfortable being grouped in um, with the other boys. And um, it was at that point that I decided, even as a young kid, that this wasn't something that was really safe to talk about. Um, You know, every Wednesday night, uh, our church would have like adult speakers while the kids were at Sunday school. And sometimes I would sneak in after, you know, our, uh, our classes ended and listen to some of the speakers and I just remember one instance where there was an Alliance Defending Freedom person repping, you know, talk about how they're, you know, fighting the culture war and fighting against homosexuality and all this type of language about how like something that's hated now is going to be praised later. And so as a young child, even though they weren't talking about um, transgender folk, which that wasn't even on the radar back then, I don't even think I knew what, you know, trans was. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt very scared. And I saw these people that mm-hmm. would be teaching me in, in uh, you know, Bible school, but then hear them scoff and kind of be disgusted mm-hmm. at the fact of like these homosexuals and, you know, mm-hmm. um, LGBT stuff that I just felt scared. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that this was a, that wrestling with dysphoria became a spiritual problem for me. It was something that I decided to fight against. Um, from a very young age, I prayed about it a lot. I prayed every night and it just felt like this something that I could not get rid of. And um, that stayed that way. And and the way I kind of describe my story is you can live like that for a long time, but there are definitely peaks and ebbs and flows to dysphoria. And I just felt like there were, every time it came back and reminded me, it just got worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And um, that was probably 
when I was in second grade, I, I started to realize, oh, I I think my mother was watching something on Today Show and they were interviewing a trans woman with Katie Couric or something. And I remember seeing that and just being so afraid because it had connected with me so profoundly. Like I could just feel like my heart just like got pricked in that moment. And so at that time I knew I had a, a pretty big problem on my hands, but um, I had no, you know, I lived in a, in a family and in, in context where I wasn't really, we were kind of this Northern European Dutch family where we didn't talk a lot about the feelings and the, you know, we just went to church on Sunday. We knew we were kind of like, we know our faith, we study our faith. And then, you know, that's, that's about it. There wasn't a lot of like personal warmth conversations going on. And so I just worked on it on my own and um, fast forward to middle school, which is kind of where my story, I think kind of departs and um, from maybe the common narrative, but um, I kind of hit puberty really late. So I didn't really start puberty until probably late into high school, but Mm -hmm. around eighth grade, I started getting lots of pains um, and I started getting sick. And Mm -hmm. um, for years and years and years, I was going to doctors. They thought it was you know, celiac, or they thought I had mono, and they thought I had, um, you know, maybe colitis and all these things. And it just never was, nothing was that they, they would always scan me from head to toe and be like, we don't know what's going on. Um, and in the back of my mind, I kind of thought, well, maybe it's this dysphoria, maybe it's something is actually, actually wrong with me, because um, something that's interesting about my story is I'm also a twin. So Um, I had this brother, you know, that's right next to me growing up, maturing and, you know, experiencing the world. And I'm starting to feel like I'm experiencing it very differently. Mm. Um, And so that's something that me and him have have talked about over the years as I've transitioned. Like, what was your teenage, you know, years like Mm. when you, you know, you were developing into adult and versus mine. And Mm. yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. And so um, into college, I, I started college, actually, I think the first time I told somebody I was struggling with dysphoria was a mentor of mine, um, at my grandpa's cabin up in Northern Michigan on my 18th birthday. And I, it was like a six hour standoff. Like he knew something was wrong with me. He knew something was laying heavy on my heart, but I, I was just so terrified. And finally after like six and a half grueling hours, of just like being like, you can tell me, you can tell me. I kind of just like wrote it on a piece of paper. Like, I feel like a girl. I want to be a girl. And I just like was so embarrassed. And so um, that kind of started my journey of like really wrestling with dysphoria. And from that moment on, I, I met with a pastor in my youth group. I met um, and I, I was convinced that I could like beat this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my goal was to prove this like, theologically wrong. Um, I was, I wanted to have good solid arguments because even at that time I felt like conservatives didn't have really good arguments against gender dysphoria or transitioning. And their only argument was like a kind of a reactionary towards like the LGBT agenda, like gays are bad. So therefore this is bad. And, um, I didn't really, that wasn't satisfying for me. And, um, I was going to a church in New York and I, sat down with my pastor and said, this is what's going on. And we had that initial confusion of like, oh, you're, you're a gay man (laughs) and trying to like get me help. And like, you know, I met with all these like ex-gay guys in New York that were Christians. And I was just like listening to him and my pastor talk about like attractions and stuff and like just how he started to be attracted to men. And I was like, 
that is not my sexual experience at all because the way I felt like I experienced my sexuality was from a standpoint of a woman, like all of my girlfriends and, you know, the people I grew up with, like it was very much in line with that. And so I knew I wasn't a gay man, but I, I didn't quite know what to do with, you know, with myself at that point. And so, um, probably my junior, it was my junior year of college. Um, I went to a conservative Christian college and I'd been hospitalized a couple of times, partly probably due to just the stress and anxiety that dysphoria was um, having on me. And, um, that was when I decided to seek some more answers and started asking some questions. Um, Mm. and you know, I think a lot of my conservative friends and pastors were all well-meaning, but this topic was just something that was so far ahead of even what they had studied. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember asking questions like, am I suffering unnecessarily? Like that was where I started with once, once I decided that this was something God gave me room to wrestle with, I wanted to know, am I suffering unnecessarily? If God really wants me to live as a man, then any type of sacrifice is worth it. But if I'm just living that because that's what my pastor says, or that's what people think or feel is the right way, um, I don't want to suffer for the rest of my life, um, you know, unnecessarily if God isn't calling me to that. And so that kind of started my wrestling and I, I kind of grounded my search based off of like, I don't know if I'm going to transition mm-hmm. or not, but we're just kind of with this Proverbs two's mentality, like I'm going to search after wisdom and I'm going to, you know, yearn after it. And therefore God is going to honor that search and he's going to guard the way of the righteous. And so that's kind of what I decided to settle in for the next few years until I transitioned. And when did that, was it in college, later in college when you did decide to transition or? Mm-hmm. Okay. And you were, it was. Yeah. It, so while you were at a While I was in college. Christian, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, gotta, okay. So I, I, how did that go? <laughs> like, I mean, you. And, and I, I terminology, as as you know, in my audience mm-hmm. knows, you know, is, is always difficult. Mm-hmm. But, and if there's a term or whatever you would prefer that I use, please let me know. But like, I mean, mm-hmm. you started yeah. college as a boy, as a man, you know, as and a sudden, boy, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Junior year, senior year. Now you're you're a girl. <laughs> um, yeah. How did that go in in the college? And is that is it the way I described it, or do you want to re-describe describe it? No, no, sure. that's 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 fine. Yeah, totally, totally good. Yeah, I, okay. I came in in it as a as a you know, I looked like a boy. I there was nothing mm-hmm. you know out of the ordinary. Um, you know, I was a little small and stuff, but uh, definitely wasn't you know average height like I am now. But um. Uh, it was an interesting process. Um, you know, I, I kind of the summer before I actually transitioned was the moment where you had the transgender tipping point, mm-hmm. you had Caitlyn Jenner coming out. And I was at, in Korea at the time. And I remember seeing the tweet just come on of Caitlyn Jenner and my gut just dropped because huh. not only was this so personal to me because this was something I was wrestling with, but I already knew that, okay, this is going to be the stereotype in the image that everyone at my conservative college has if I decide to, you know, transition. Mm-hmm. And so we're all in that, con- you know, that cultural context where I think things were very heightened. Um, you know, you think cancel culture was, is bad now. I mean, back then, or it's bad now, but back then it was just getting kind of started, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't really that bad. And so um, I, took a semester off and I just worked a full-time job. And that was when I was going to counseling and I started um, hormone replacement therapy. 
in the summer before I started college in the in the fall. Okay. And so when I started college, I back back at college, I probably had been on hormones for maybe four to six months. Okay. So, you know, we're not talking a lot of change there. And I was on campus frequently there, but there was definitely, it was a small school. So there was lots of like people looking at me, like, is she changing? You know, what's, what's going on? Yeah. So I definitely felt like the microscope. Um, but to my college's credit, they wanted me to come back. Um, mm -hmm. The process of reintegrating in the community was difficult, but yeah. it definitely was a learning experience on both ends because, you know, we had a college that wants to, you know, maintain a historic Christian, um, you know, position, um, which, you know, I, I, th I think we could talk about this later. I, I don't think there has been a historic Christian position on gender dysphoria. I think right. in terms of sexuality, there, right. there is, but um, they wanted to do that, but they also wanted me to feel involved. And so that little balancing act was definitely hard at times, but I was really grateful that I got to, you know, come back and finish my degree at the college that I started at. Okay. What was your social environment like? I mean, I can, my, my assumption would be that would, that was super stressful. I would imagine that probably added to anxiety, but how, how did, yeah. I guess your, your student peers receive mm -hmm. you and how about faculty? Like were there tensions there or, or was it um, a good experience or a blend of both or? Yeah. Well, I, I think too, um, it was basically like having two freshman years for me. So I okay. did two years um, and uh, Kings is uh, very, it was, it's very, um, it, it's divided into these like house systems. My school was. And so there was like male house and female house. So right. that, that became difficult because all the social environment was surrounded. And a lot of, I think my friends from the first two and a half years, you know, it was a hard adjustment. And so some of them, I, I didn't really talk to again, and it was kind of just making a lot of new friends. Um, and then I felt also too, that as a, a student, I was kind of, you know, maybe being kind of hijacked, I think a little bit by like, um, more liberal students that wanted to use me as kind of this, like this agenda to kind of push forward, um, and kind of be a thorn in the side of a conservative college. And so navigating that as, you know, as as a young child, but I mean, helped me to care for me. I have one friend that I met the first day of school um, when I started the college, like my freshman year when I presented as male, and we are both very good friends to this day. And just to see a friend that walks with mm -hmm. you for that long was so special. So I got to see some hurts, but also see where God really worked through the hearts of, of people to like, keep on being that presence of Christ, even when they didn't know how to react to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, I, I mean, I just, I picture, I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining myself in your shoes going, going, you know, showing up to mm -hmm. class and, um, just, yeah, that, that, that would be yeah. frightening in, in many ways. Uh, it was, so I, the, yeah. the question everybody's going to want to know it, like housing, like, was that, so you, for the first few years were in male housing and then were you yeah. in female housing and then was that an issue or is that how it went? Or? Yeah, the school, so that, I mean, my, the, there was a lot of policies and, and they would have to kind of, they were kind of creating these, you know, as they went because they were thinking about these things. But so housing was difficult and that was, um, I actually ended up living off campus. So okay. that was the easiest way to, you know, 
to do that. It also saved me lots of money. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I lived off campus with a few girls from from the college. And um, I actually got to uh, my school didn't have like dorms. So Uh, I could actually I rented a a room, like an apartment in the same building that all of the, you know, the apartments were in. So for me, it was almost like it was still like felt like living on campus, but I just had my own apartment. So (laughs) okay, okay. How did you work Um, through? um, You know, you said early on, you were like, No, I can beat this, you know, I'm not going to transition then being um, reconciling your decision to transition with your faith. um, How did was that just Mm -hmm. a lot of reading a lot of praying a lot of asking questions a lot all the above or <laughs> it, it was um you know i think there is a misconception and i think you know um some of your listeners might know mark yarhouse mm-hmm. um you know he wrote understanding gender dysphoria and now emerging gender identities and one of the things that he addresses in that book is this misnomer that like because you become trans that your faith suffers i mean there's it, that can be true and unfortunately like you have mentioned uh, with your studies, like 80% of LGBT people were in the church mm-hmm. um, and 50% may, would come back if they felt safe. Mm-hmm. And so for me, actually, my faith was rocked primarily because it was grounded on authority. I, I grew up in a very, I would say, legalist context where I just accepted what authority um, told me was right and wrong. And I think that deconstruction for me was almost more difficult than the dysphoria part, but it started out with a lot of praying and a lot of reading. I Mm. kind of started my journey with this idea that all God's truth is God's truth. That kind of famous quote Mm -hmm. from um, Abraham Kuyper that there's not a square inch that Christ does not call mine. And so I felt like I could read. I, I, the, um, you know, the opportunity to read lots of psychology, to read lots of medical Mm -hmm. journals and to like, view that through a biblical lens, but not cast it out. Because I think a lot of people like my parents, and when I was testing with people that were very concerned, they kind of just felt like, I don't want to look at that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that was very much me like looking at like, what's the studies on this. And for me, it was a physical thing. I think a lot of the phrase you hear in secular society is like, I did this to be happy. I didn't transition to be happy. And I reiterate that to people all the time. I transitioned to be a whole and a healthy person. Um, and you know, for me that started with prayer, lots of prayer. It, 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 it was assembling a kind of a care team around me, which was a close mentor of mine, Mm -hmm. um, who helped pray with me and discern, and then just taking it one step cautiously at a time. So not like really fast changes, but seeing how each change, um, you know, felt. And so that's kind of how I started out. Um, how, so how long it was five years ago when you transitioned mm-hmm. yeah in 2016 did it did it um drastically reduce or even do away with your dysphoria do you still wrestle with gender dysphoria would you say or yeah i think um you know i think dysphoria is something that um honestly it does it will never go away okay. um it's highly mitigated so in the same way that you think with someone with adhd or um, depression or ailment, even a fit, you know, even a more like, um, actual physical ailment, like diabetes or, you know, things like that, like medication and medical doesn't always solve completely the problem. It doesn't, you know, we have a new heaven and new earth coming, which is going to solve all of that stuff. 
but it definitely like it enormously reduces yeah. the amount of time that that problem is on my head in a given day. Okay. okay. And I know so, every individual story is different and that's, that's mm -hmm. part of why I'm doing this series is just to show that like one story is one story is one story, you know, and, and for everybody it's different. Mm -hmm. um, if I can ask, have you ever had like any kind of regret or like, man, I'm not sure. Should I have done that? Or is that just kind of part of the, is that like part of the journey that everybody's on or, um, cause I know that's a big yeah. discussion now with kind of seems like a grown mm -hmm. member who maybe as a more younger teen were kind of mm -hmm. maybe rushed into it a little too quickly. And in, in my opinion, and, um, that didn't go through the vigorous mm -hmm. process that you, you did mm -hmm. so much study and reading. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, so I'll, mm -hmm. I, we, and yeah, it seems like we're having more and more people that are kind of regretting, but mm -hmm. again, every story isn't different. Um, yeah, yeah, here, here's what I would say about that. I, I think right now, dysphoria or like transsexualism, like uh, you, your previous guest um, talked about, um, it has a long history. I mean, all the way back to um, um, 1931s in Hirschfeld um, in Germany, and they were doing lots of studies. Lots of these studies were lost, unfortunately, during World War II. Um, but transsexuality has actually been something that was documented and being studied. And right now in society, I think we have a two-layer, kind of two-layer gender thing going on. You have, I think, what's always been counted as transsexuality and kind of um, people that have gendered um, nonconformity. That's kind of like you feel like it's, it's kind of built in from birth. And then we also have this idea of gender expression. Um, and so I think sometimes as the church, when we're in engaging these topics, like we kind of like put this like gender expression, you know, kind of self autonomy, like your body is something to use to like, kind of like mm -hmm. um, change like a skin on like a, you know, like an Instagram filter, like to express yourself. I think there, that's a totally separate conversation from like, transsexuality where like gender dysphoria has me a diagnosable threshold. Um, it needs medical attention. And so, um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, I view myself in the second camp and I'm trying to remember where I was, what, what your initial question was. Oh, it, it had to do um, with kind of, do you, do you ever regret making a decision? But oh yeah. I like the direction you're going in though. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, and I'll just follow up with saying is that whatever camp that you fall into, whatever kind of, uh, I would say experience is probably a good a good term for it. Whatever experience you come from really will shape the outcome. So I think that someone could have dysphoria, um, but maybe transitioning isn't the best option for them because that dysphoria can come from a variety of different ways, just like depression. Depression can come from a physical ailment within the brain. It can also come from trauma. It can come from abuse. It can come from a lot of things. And you've seen that probably with your work in sexuality is that, you know, sexuality can come from an inborn kind of, this is something I experienced from like, since I was eight, mm -hmm. or it can also come with something because someone's addicted to porn or was abused as a kid. And so there's nuance in terms of like what you're experiencing dysphoria, but what, where is that dysphoria coming from? And yeah. that's why I was so cautious. And that's why I encourage like any trans person that I talk you start on the medical route like let's unpack this dysphoria and see where it's coming from because okay. yes you may need to transition but you also might need to unprocess like your ideas about gender stereotypes or your trauma that you had in your past and yeah. i think um that can relate that can result into someone transitioning or regretting 
versus someone transitioning and, you know, right. having a well-adjusted life. But by the way, we have some internet glitches going on here. So hence the, you know, mm-hmm. and if we get cut off, we'll just, just stay put and it'll kick back. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in the process. Actually, I'm so excited. Are, do you know Elon Musk? <laughs> You know, Elon? Uh, yeah, is he giving you some high-speed uh, alien network over there? Yeah, sort of. Well, Starlink, this whole satellite thing he started, I'm part of the beta testing group because I live in a certain area. So Ooh, as we speak, wow. I have my dish outside from Elon. <laughs> I just need to hook it up and figure it out. So I'm still on my old internet speed, but my podcast yeah. is... Uh, my podcast following excited to know this <laughs> really extraterrestrial <laughs> yeah extraterrestrial wi-fi there <laughs> yeah. um so th- this is what i mean i, I you, you don't you uh defy being put in a box on so many levels i mean first of all you're a very very committed christian uh it was very much your faith mm-hmm. that comes first in everything and even though you you know you decided to transition there's gonna be some people that are like oh I don't know if I agree with that or whatever, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you can't disagree with the fact that you, um, your, your faith has always been at the center of everything you've, you've done. Um, which mm-hmm. seems very obvious. And also you're feel, I mean, you're very much like evangelical. It's not like, Oh, and now I went liberal or whatever. Like, <laughs> you would have, yeah. I mean, a pretty standard evangelical set of beliefs when it comes to Christianity. Right. I mean, there's, Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's very, that's very correct. And not only that, but, you... um, and I, I argue, I know I argue that like the way I've thought out, um, just, you know, how to deal and, and, and treat, I would say treat dysphoria. Like yeah. I'm, I'm still working out those ideas, but like, I, I feel like there's a better conservative, even I, I think biblical based argument for in certain cases that, you know, transitioning is, is at least not, um, you know, immoral or, you know, not yeah so i think that i just think those arguments haven't been thought out a lot and there's not a lot of conservatives doing those arguments because there's not a lot of conservative trans bible loving (laughs) people out there (laughs) now so but you you kind of mentioned in passing just to revisit it like Mm -hmm. um, you know there's different approaches to addressing dysphoria right you have more kind of the Mm -hmm. psychological first approach like let's explore is there Mm -hmm. past trauma is there all kinds of different things that could be going on. Let's explore those mm-hmm. first. Maybe some of those experiences are connected to the dysphoria and let's like the mm-hmm. first thing should be, let's relieve it psychologically. And, and maybe Ex- transitioning yeah. after you've done that um, mm-hmm. is, is the best route for this, this person that that approach is now seen as like transphobic and conversion therapy. And, you know, it's like, it's being mm-hmm. kind of, um, you know, a lot of people pushing back against that, but it seems like you would kind of favor that. That trans, if a fifteen-year-old says, "I think I'm trans, I have dysphoria," like you wouldn't. It doesn't sound like you'd be like, "All right, well, let's start transitioning." You, you would be a fan of exploring other options. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, I'm still a, a proponent of that to this day. Um, because I, I always tell people that everyone focuses on the physical part of transition. And there's less focus on the spiritual aspects and the mental well-being aspects of transition. And I've always been more concerned with the prior or the, I mean, sorry, the latter. Um, and I feel like that makes a more healthy transition um, because you can change what your body looks like. But if you're still suffering from a lot of trauma or just misconceptions, um, you're still going to have a pretty rough go of it. 
um, you still have to live with you, you know, after the end of the day. (laughs) So your dysphoria, because it was early onset, like from a very, very early age, what's, I mean, it wasn't linked to trauma, was it? Or, um, no, no. And that's the, you know, that's something that a lot of people wanted to find was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, were you abused as a child? Mm -hmm. Um, what, what made you think this way? What made you think like you thought you were a girl and the, and you know, there was, there's also this idea of like, Oh, maybe you just like, like you've talked about like stereotypes, like maybe you're just a guy that likes to do more girly things. But for, you know, for me that never made sense because it's like, you know, I can go, you know, do the most masculine thing and I can do the most girly thing. Like it's not about me like wanting to be that stereotype. It's like really about how I feel in my body. Right. Um, and also physically, like the physical symptoms that were unabated until I started hormone um, replacement therapy. Oh, wow. So the, yeah, so the physical ailments you're experiencing early in college, yeah. once you went on hormone mm-hmm. therapy, those, those went away. Wow. Yeah. They went away a lot. I mean, they didn't go away totally, but yeah. I just think that, uh, you know, dysphoria, like I mentioned in the blog, like what it felt like I was trying to describe it and yeah. you got a lot of good responses. It just kind of felt like there was this like electrical grid in my body that just didn't like almost when you have like the lights halfway through on and off and it's just like mm-hmm. kind of sparking, like it just kind of felt really bad in my body all the time. I was achy, I had pains and, um, I kind of describe it as like, if you put diesel in a regular car, like you might be able to get the engine started, but it's gonna, you're going to just like rip the engine apart and it's going to, you know, break down on you. And that's kind of how I felt testosterone was in my body. Like I I felt it when it, when it surged in puberty, but it never felt good. And it always just, it just felt very foreign. Wow. Wow. So, so Let's let's talk about politics a little bit because this is another area that I just yeah I don't know like I I, I love I love people and stories and experiences that just um, there's a phrase that a journalist used the uh, on the edge of the inside meaning you're you're in a certain maybe group or experience or whatever but you're kind of on the like you're you don't fit the kind of stereotype within that so um, politically you'd mm-hmm. be very much conservative, right? I mean, is that, are you able to talk about, <laughs> and you're very much in, in yeah. politics. Yeah. Like that's I a mean, big part of what you do. So yeah. Talk to us about, yeah, it's, it's been campaign. a part. <laughs> yeah. It's been, been, been a part since I was in college. I've, I've worked on four campaigns, um, across the country and, um, it's, uh, I'm a conservative, um, you know, right now that, that can mean a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, as you saw, I mean, even the Republican party right now is, um, it's in quite disarray. So, um, and, uh, but for me, that means limited government. It means fiscal responsibility. It means I'm, I'm really grounded in this like classical liberal, um, idea of government that, you know, that there's rights that are inherent to human beings and those rights are not given by government. They're, they're protected by the government. Um, I, you know, love, um, kind of how, I think morality, um, especially the Judeo-Christian uh, worldview, has really helps enable self-government. Um, and so those are the things that, you know, as a person that's interested in politics, those are something that I've worked and wanted to be around for a long time. Ever since I was a first grader, I, I watched the, the State of the Union address. Now, because I'm a conservative, that means I operate in Republican spaces because largely we have a two-party system. So that also means I operate in a lot of spaces where, like, trans people are not very welcomed or, you know, there are some pretty harsh things said about 
me even when I'm in the room and they don't know I'm trans. So um, that's just something that you learn how to navigate. Um, Well, and uh, yeah, how have you been mm -hmm. received within specifically Republican spaces um, when they do? So yeah, is that is that so? Are you you persecuted? Or yeah, if they're libertarians, if they're more libertarian Republicans and. I am interested in libertarianism, but I've read Ayn Rand things and like, it's like, can be very amoral. They kind of shun morality and just kind of like, let, let me do you do you. And as long as you're not bothering anybody. Um, but if I'm working with like your stereotypical, like evangelical Republican, um, it's, it never ends. It never ends. Well, um, usually when they find out, um, it kind of radically shifts their grid on how they think about me. Um, and it also brings up this idea of like, Oh, you were lying to me. Uh, Um, which as a trans person, like, um, you know, I believe you, you're always honest with the people that you date and that are close to you, but your people that you work with colleagues, it's not a very, like, I think professional thing to have to announce. I mean, I'm very different because the LGBT community is very boisterous, but I think living in a modern society, we've gotten this notion that like, we're owed a platform to speak all the time about ourselves and how we're oppressed and all this stuff. And I, I, I certainly had points about that and where I was like that in my younger years, but I'm learning to try to, you okay. know, keep my personal things from away from yeah. business okay. yeah. <laughs> from the professional world. Yeah, that is. I mean, it's like, yes, it's obviously a huge part of your story, your life, but it also like, I can imagine many conversations, you know, even relationships that it's like, it's not like you need to, hi, my name's Addy. And by the way, here's mm-hmm. my whole story. And, yeah. Know, like, yeah. It just would be kind of almost awkward in some, some contexts. Um, we, mm-hmm. we talked about this offline just briefly, but can you explain the difference between transsexual and transgender and, and what are your, what's, what are your thoughts on that yeah. Your perspective? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel transgender, uh, you know, as a lot of definitions, um, if I can be political on the left, um, they have widely expanded. Um, so the way I, I kind of start with this to make it, you know, bait, you know, kind of understandable to people that are not into this word mm-hmm. kind of conversation is like when you used to call someone a gentleman, um, in Renaissance or in, in Europe, it used to actually mean connote an information it used to mean that you're landed, you wanted property, you might've been knighted. It, it, it associated like a title with responsibilities and whatever. Um, now we call gentlemen like, oh, you're such a gentleman because you open the door for me. Like huh. that doesn't tell me anything about who you are except a subjective kind of, oh, you're nice. So it's the definition is subjective. So it yeah. means nothing. Um, I feel like transgender has suffered from that same phenomenon is transgender used to kind of mean roughly be synonymous with transsexual. The only difference is that transsexuals were medically transitioned and transgender people weren't. Um, that's how it kind of was defined when I was first researching it back in like high school. Mm-hmm. But now transgender as by per definition is an umbrella term that encompasses A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, so um, you really don't know when you say I'm trans, I'm transgender, like what that person's saying. And so because of that, I've kind of shifted to transsexual and when I'm in an environment where I'm talking about this, because then you go, okay, I know that you're a person that medically transitioned. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I Um, I noticed too, it seems like 
and for various reasons, maybe there are some older mm-hmm. uh, trans people who would prefer transsexual, whereas transgender, kind of like gay, mm-hmm. lesbian, and queer. You know, yeah. the younger generation is is latching on to queer more than an, more than an older generation. But there's also some mm-hmm. people like Miranda Yardley who I had on who is mm-hmm. you know, it's it's more of a um, I, I think she would see like trans- transgender is more of a you know, an activism, uh, science denial, yeah, biology mm-hmm. denial. Whereas she's like, no, I mean, I transition mm-hmm. is the best way to kind of, yeah. Uh, really I mean, I can, but I'm not going to deny the fact yeah. of my bi- biological reality or, um, is there some of that maybe mm-hmm. in your, yeah, I mean, and I differed than Yardley too, a, a, a little bit because, you know, we talk about biological sex and this was a big discussion when I first decided to transition is like, well, God's intent was you to be a male. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I listened to one of your very old podcasts with um, Leanne um, and oh, yeah. she was an intersex Christian right. and yeah. she by far was one of the stories that you covered that like I <laughs> identified with the most. Okay. Um, just kind of, you know, I, on average, I was, I was a very small boy growing up and, huh. um, you know, I never really met average weight and height statistics, yeah. but um, with the physical component of me, you know, I started thinking when I was researching, like, I, I know there's intersex cases and I, I never try to like, I don't want to like push those two categories together because that can be unhelpful and, and, and things like that. But to me, I operate out of this idea that we live in a fallen world. Um, and so therefore a number of things can go wrong with our development. And this kind of touches on brain sex theory a little bit, even though that's something that has been far from fully proved. Right. But to me, my my issues were so physical and so body related that like it felt to me like, OK, well, if you have all these different type of intersex cases um, ranging from very obvious to, you know, just your chromosomes being mixed, mm-hmm. but no one really knows you're intersex. It, it seems to me plausible that like something physically could go be going on with me mm-hmm. where, you know, like my body is just not right you know, you know, fully physically male formed, um, whether that's just internally or, you know, that's, that's interesting. Do you know, I mean, if I can ask, do you know if you have mm-hmm. an intersection? I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I doubt I do, but that's, that was something just because I, when I was growing up and it be, was such a physical thing, I remember thinking over and over again, like maybe I am intersex or maybe there's something my parents don't know, you know, just because I was like, why do I feel so horrible? All the time? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, so another unique thing. And I, I, mm-hmm. I like you're, <laughs> you talk so freely and openly and comfortably. I mean, I'm, this is a personal <laughs> topic for you, obviously. And it's like, you don't even mind if I ask kind of personal questions like that, or even like you, you seem to operate extremely well with, different perspectives agree to disagree mm-hmm. like you're a big advocate of free speech and like you're not mm-hmm. I've never sensed at all like you kind of demanding somebody agrees with you at all like how, how, yeah that, i mean how, how, how do you do that because <laughs> that, that, that is i mean does seem to be so, abnormal in this conversation it's so volatile and people are so mm-hmm. they can't even be in a room with somebody that disagrees slightly with yeah them, but you're very different yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think um, a lot of it, I will start, is the grace of God. You know, therefore the grace of God, there go I. Um, my journey has been so um, lockstep with Christ that I feel like 
I have been given an extra sense of calmness and just peace when I've dealt with people that will literally like come up to me in, in a church context. I'm in a group of people and they will and it's, it's very disrespectful because they didn't need to jump into that conversation. Yeah. Um, quick, and they just I, kind of do I, that. You, you cut out. Can you go back just like 10 seconds? Oh, you, you were it was really important. Yeah. In the church. Context, yeah. No, I, I, I'm you. glad. Yeah. In the, in the church context, because, you know, God has given me a lot of grace because I, you know, I've had people that have come up to me and just like purposely used he, him pronouns when I'm in a group that doesn't know I'm trans oh, wow. because they, because they knew I'm trans. I was like a small group I was in, in New York and they, I, they found out I was trans. And so I literally sat down with them. I let them give me their spiel for two hours about how I'm wrong and how I'm deceived and all this stuff. And I am polite and I, I give back my research and the things that I'm thinking about. And oftentimes it's met with like, well, no, I can't consider that. Um, but every time I've ended those conversations, it's always ended with, wow, like, you do really care about scripture. And I think this is important that you bring it up because in secular society, it's all about me and getting my voice heard. And I think a lot of this shouting and canceling is like, I need to feel safe in you. And what does Christ teach us? He teaches us to be the opposite, you know, make yourself uncomfortable to be around those that are at the margins of society. And that is a gospel thing through and through. And I think it's something that the church really does need to work on because so many times fundamental evangelical conservatives, however you want to categorize it, they don't operate with that. They need to, they operate with this mindset that I need to know, you need to know that I think you're wrong so that I can talk to you. And that's just, that's not of Christ. I, I'm just kind of stunned right now, honestly, like, <laughs> You have so much to teach us. Um, and you're, yeah, I'm just so thankful you exist and your voice is your voice, but more than that, just your humility like that. What you just said, I mean, given your experience with dysphoria and the anxiety and, and wrestling with that and your faith and whether to transition, I mean, all these things mm -hmm. to then have you, be in a position where you are still extending grace to somebody that really has no clue that that's, that's, that's very unique as you know. So thank you for your posture and modeling that that's, that's incredible. Um, it's hard. It's hard. Oh, um, it <laughs> it's not been, yeah, it's not been easy, but yeah. God. Have you had, can you give us a good experience you've had with somebody maybe that, is maybe still might not agree with you on everything in this conversation mm -hmm. but is showing you the same kind of love and, and grace that you've had to extend to so many people. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, what's cool about being, um, one cool thing about being trans, there's not a lot of cool things about being trans, but you get to, because you, sometimes you're on the margins, you get to experience a side of Christ and see how he works to fill your needs as a, as a person that kind of lives, like you said, on the edges. And I've encountered a few people in my life that I would just say, like, have that Christ likeness where they disagree with me. Um, but they have constantly, you know, been there. One of my friends, um, she, the one that I told you about, you know, from, I met the first day of school for my freshman year. Um, I know we've disagreed a lot and she probably didn't like really, um, agree with like maybe my steps to transition, but was always 
there to talk it out, um, you know, have a lot of these type of conversations that we're having now. Um, there was another um, a guy in my my house um, when I was in college, and you know, he was definitely very like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to deal with this. But from the moment I came back to school, he decided that you know God's calling me to be a friend to her. I am he. We would go out to lunch once a month. Um, he helped me move when like when I moved apartments in New York, like. He helped me carry stuff up my like five story walk up. And just seeing that was like, wow, like you disagree with me, Hmm. but you want to understand and you want to get to know why I made the decisions I did. Um, And so that, yeah, that, that's something that's been done very special. And then just people that still open your homes, allow me to watch their kids, Mm -hmm. um, do all these things. That's part of, I think like Christian life and they don't feel scandalized that you're in life with them. Just like Jesus didn't feel scandalized by the people he chose to break bread with. And I think that's been some ways I've really seen um, some, some really good moments in church. Wow. That's such a good word. Are you Mm -hmm. like currently, cause I mean, I would imagine you would find your home and identity in a more conservative church. And yet, obviously, your story, you know, could bring challenges to some people mm-hmm. there and even church policies and stuff. How, how do you navigate that? Is that has that been difficult or? Uh, yeah. Home or? Yeah, it's been difficult. Um, I have been in I, I just don't want to go to more liberal churches because I just don't agree with the theology. But um, so often I've been in like not even mainline. I've been in like conservative churches like the PCA and the mm-hmm. RCA and the, you know, right now I'm in, in, in Dutch West Michigan, so it's all CRC, but, yeah. um, it, it's, um, I have yet to open up at one of those conservative churches. I mean, early in my transition, it was kind of like obvious, like here's this person that's transitioning. Yeah. Now it's kind of dependent on me disclosing that information. Yeah. And that's just something I've decided not to do because, um, I don't want to rush into it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I want to, I, I think, experience Christian fellowship. And I think that that doesn't always require to be the most vulnerable yeah. all the time. It's, right. it's picking like picking your, you know, I heard this phrase, like Jesus had his one, he had his three, he had his 12 and he had his 5,000. And it's like, who are your, huh. who's the disciple that's most loved who you're going to share everything with. And who is like, what information needs to be shared where is kind of like what you have to learn how to do. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you, you can, yeah, I can imagine you can yeah. be in a church and no one's going to think anything unless you mm-hmm. bring it up. So, yeah. Well, which can be mm-hmm. great. I can imagine the stress though of when that conversation comes up or if, or if they're like, Hey, would you lead this mm-hmm. or you want to be a, a deacon or elder? And you're like, well, maybe I need yeah. to, you know, <laughs> Um, yeah. And I've, I've gotten into things where, um, where, you know, like one church, you, you had to get like a background check because they required everyone to like be in the nursery once a quarter or something. And so I just uh, was kind of like, Oh, I just not going to become a member like right now. Like, cause I, I didn't know what to do. Um, yeah. I, that was the first time that I, you know, had experienced that. And so I just kind of, serve from the margins. Like you can always serve. And mm-hmm. my goal, you know, when I transitioned was how do I do this in a holy manner? Like, how do you do it in a manner that's set apart from the world? And so mm-hmm. I want to be the best light I can for Christ, even if people are not going to treat me with the same type of compassion. And so 
it's really hard, you know, if people do find out and you're the one that's like serving others and doing the work of Christ. And then they're going to want kick you out of the church because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you made a decision. So, um, and, and then like, it's always about that disposition of respecting authority, but being willing to talk about it like we are right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, so yeah, that's what I try to try to do. Yeah. <laughs> Not always perfectly, but yeah. Well, um, man, we're coming up here close to an hour. Do you have any last uh, words or things you'd like to say to the audience? I mean, I'm sure people are really, yeah, uh, enjoying this conversation, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, any any last words, anything that you'd like people to know about maybe the conversation as a whole, your story or how we move forward? And Yeah, um, you know, I would say that... Um that uh, this is definitely, I think uh, it's, it's a hot topic in society and obviously by extension in the church. But uh, I think that the way the church engages, and this is why I've appreciated your work is, is so important um, to not be reactive against like what's happening in culture, because ultimately like, um, you know, in the kingdom of man, like culture is going to, it's going to be left to its devices in some regards. And as Christians, it's our, you know, it's our responsibility to be out in society and, and being the salt and light. Um, but that's going to mean, mean having a very relational, you know, aspect with the people that you disagree with. Um, realizing that like God doesn't work on the same timeline we do. Mm-hmm. And so because someone is starting to transition or because someone has already transitioned or because someone's wrestling doesn't mean they're always going to be wrestling. Um, and it's, it's not like you should meet someone that is trans and then like, like, uh, you know, think, you know, convince them that they're wrong. Um, and that like every trans person isn't, you know, a lot of trans people that you never get to talk to, you've probably met because they transition, they get on with their lives and they go back into, mm-hmm. you know, society. And so, um, that's something to remember. And then also just, I think when we think about using scripture, um, as a battering ram, I, there's some things that I've heard, you know, like the constant one is like, take up your cross. Um, that's been told me millions and millions of times. Um, it's kind of out of context when, you know, Christ is asking us to deny ourselves and give up our life. Um, but it's, it, and that's in relation to him picking up the cross and doing what, what God was calling him to but it's not this idea of like, oh, because I have physical ailments, I should just live with those physical right, ailments. Right. I mean, and that's kind of how it's been brought in my context. Like, oh, God, this is your thorn. Like, yeah. wrestle with the dysphoria. It's kind of wrong for you to want it to be mitigated. Mm. And I think there's a, as me, I've always said, there's a proper context. Like, I'm not looking for the magic pill. And when I get to heaven, I know all things will be made new. I know that my body, my mind will be mm. um be right. I don't know if I'll be male or female in heaven, uh, you know, but I'll be happy because it's the Lord's will be done. But just using that verse is like, you should never ex- want to escape physical suffering. I think that's so wrongheaded because when I read the gospel and I learned this kind of as I was just chronically suffering with sickness and pain is that Jesus starts his ministry with healing physical ailments. I mean, I was counting before I got on the show in Matthew, there's 16 stories of healing out of 28 chapters. In Mark, there's like 16 chapter or 16 stories, instances of God healing. And these are just things that they say we only recorded. And there's so much more 
that was done that couldn't even fit the books. And so I kind of encourage Christians to think of James, you know, in this instance of like, if you just say, go to a brother that's like poorly clothed and sick, if you just say, go peace, be well and be filled, like you're not really keeping your obligation as a Christian. You might be, um, but if you just say, well, you just have to suffer this and you're not going to provide any route forward for that believer yeah. to experience some type of relief. Like, I think that that's, um, kind of, yeah. kind of wrongheaded. Well, and so is, I um, encourage yeah. people. No, I so appreciate mm-hmm. that. And I, I've often said, if you are calling somebody else to a really difficult, challenging path that you see as mm-hmm. the path of discipleship, man, you better mm-hmm. be committed to that person relationship. You better be, yeah. Uh, create a mm-hmm. community where they can flourish to the best of their possible ability. And yeah, even mm-hmm. picking up your cross, yeah. denying yourself, that really is the main point. It seems to be sacrificing yourself for the good of others, like Jesus giving, you know, taking on this hard road so that he can sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not really mm-hmm. talking. Maybe the thorn yeah. of the flesh passage um, might be a little more. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. You, you might have to endure some element, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, the picking up your cross is more about self, serving others through sacrifice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so yeah. I, that's, I was that's, a, that's you, my biggest. Yeah. I was going to ask mm-hmm. you, but you said it. You're not sure if you'll be male or female in heaven. I, I didn't yeah. want to ask that because I almost felt like that was almost too personal. I, I don't know, but that's interesting. So you're like, no. I don't know how this is going to work. It's going to be worked I, out. I don't know what I don't know, but it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's how I've always been. Um, because you know, I, people say, well, God's intention. And when, when they keep on saying God's intention, I give them the world, the words of Job, like, do you speak for God? Are, are you communicating with him yeah. like ear to ear? Because, um, you know, Job's friends get chastised at the end. Um, and that's what some I think a lot of people forget about. They, yeah. they they hear Job repenting and they forget that the friends were not in the right in the right boat in that situation. And so if you're just coming along a trans person, not knowing their story, not knowing anything, and and just saying, like, you need to repent because God, this is God's punishment on you. Um, you know, I don't think that's how Jesus would have approached a trans person. Yeah. Um yeah. I don't I, I don't think so. And so yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna be male or female, but it's gonna be okay because it's going to be, you know, perfect. <laughs> so, uh, which is where the hope of all, that's where all of our hopes should mm-hmm. be. Kind of like, you know, yeah, is he going to judge this person, is this person in or out or whatever? It's like at the end of the day, it's Genesis 18. The judge of the world will do what is right. God will put the yeah. creation the way he sees best. The specifics mm-hmm. of what we, how we want that to come about are secondary, a distant mm-hmm. secondary, a rock solid yeah. hope is in the fact that he will put it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love that. And that's what gives me the most hope every day. Cause mm-hmm. like you said, or like I said earlier, dysphoria won't always go away. It's sadly, my sister is autistic. It's something she's going to have to live with forever mm-hmm. through this life. And dysphoria is, is kind of the thing that I have to work for work through in this life. And the thing that gives me hope always is looking towards, you know, what's in store for the future. So that's a great word to end on. Addie, thank you so, so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, uh, wish you the best in your political adventures. <laughs> we, that's a whole other podcast that I would love. To yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on Theology Now. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Preston. I appreciate you having me on. 